And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. With Sam Tampering. To be able to bring people together. At the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executive in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. <laughs> awkward to even talk about. I can't even mention teams anymore. That's what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. Yeah, I don't have tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I am Sam Amick here as always, NBA National Writer, with my guys Fred Katz out east, Wizards beat writer, tampering extraordinaire, host. We need a title for you, Fred. You're such a long-standing member now. What what are we calling you in the podcast space, buddy? I could could just be your assistant. I'm good with just being Sam Amick's assistant. No. Not an, that, that's demeaning. I mean, no offense to assistants out there, but we need level playing field. You know what I mean? Like this is a, a collaboration partnership. Out West, as always, Anthony Slater, Warriors beat writer, coming off a Kevin Durant reunion game. Slater, what's up, brother? We jinxed the Kings, I think, Sam. <laughs> you know, We're going there we, immediately. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, West Coast. Uh, yes, I did. I actually attended the Durant um Warriors in game, person, in person basketball. Me, me, about uh, seventeen other humans, and then just tarp everywhere. No standing ovation. All right, I, I want more detail on that in a little bit here. I haven't seen a game in person in a minute. All right, so here's what's on tap this week. This is what I'm going to call the the post Valentine's Day tampering pod. You know, guys, I know you have both of you uh, fantastic, significant others who you know I'm sure you tried your best to to make happy yesterday. Uh, on Valentine's Day, you kind of target things like food and specific you know items to uh, to have the day be very scheduled and and you know to get a big thumbs up. Um, this tampering pod is going to kind of be the opposite. I'm going to be honest. We are going to be all over the place. We're going to be a little bit uh, you know helter skelter, but in a good way. We're going to talk a lot of West Coast teams because we were talking off air, the three of us, about how there just continues to be this moving target component, I guess, to the West where it's, you know, hey, Portland loses C.J. McCollum and Yusuf Nurkic and they're going to, you know, be heading south the next thing, you know, they win a bunch of games. And then you got Denver, which is, oh, they're on the skids. You know, they uh, they beat Utah and then they lose to a bunch of teams. Then they turn around and beat the Lakers. And, and you know, and we mentioned the Warriors. So a lot to get into in the West, out East, uh, today, some new reporting from Arsham Sharani at The Athletic about Andre Drummond, the Cavs' big man, who we've known was going to be drawing interest as we got closer to the March 25th trade deadline. Uh, the question had been, is it going to be a trade? Is there any chance the Cavs would do a buyout with him? But today, uh, Shams reported that Toronto is 
talking to the Cavs about getting the big man. Um, you know, I had them tied to Brooklyn in the past. I think he's somebody we're going to continue talking about. Uh, but guys, let's start. I'm going to throw uh, the curveball at you. Sorry for the baseball analogy. Um, Fred, I want to come your direction real quick because you wrote a great piece with John Wall um, the other day heading into his reunion game, which is going to happen tonight. And uh, you guys had the kind of conversation that I enjoyed because it's one thing to get a one-on-one in these COVID times where media-wise it is challenging, but you didn't just talk to John. He was pretty substantive. Uh, And John is a guy that is clearly proud uh, of his time in Washington and and a proud guy in general. And he wasn't real thrilled clearly with the way things went down in the trade to Houston. Uh, You know, what, struck you from that conversation you know him well you covered him for quite some time and uh, and that was good work how did you feel about that I mean I think the number one thing that really stood out to me aside from I mean aside John can talk I covered John for a couple of years in DC before he ended up how long, uh, how long was this conversation Houston. sorry to interrupt but how long did y'all go about, about a half an hour okay I, w- I want to say about 35 minutes or so um pretty much all of it was on the record, um, you know, a couple minutes of just like, Hey man, how you doing? How you been? Right. And then, uh, and then just getting right into the interview. He was, he, John tends to be very willing to talk to media, very willing to chat, very willing to do interviews, one-on-ones, all that kind of stuff. That's been the fabric of how he handles media and beat reporting since he's been in the league. That being said, even for him, I think it was clear he was just very ready to talk about this. Because if 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 you see that story up on the Athletic NBA, you'll see it's basically broken into three sections, and and he talks a lot about his interpretation of how he believes the trade went down and what his experience was like before the trade to Houston and how he found out about it. And you know the there are these long block quotes and a bunch of them in those first two sections, right? Just talking about his perspective of all of it. Yep. I asked one question to get all of those quotes. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was one question and one follow-up. Right. And the question was, where do you think things went wrong? That was the question as open-ended as this can be. I mean, the question was essentially, John, whatever you're comfortable with telling me, let's hear it. And he spoke for four and a half minutes straight. It's always so interesting to me and Slater, you've been through this a million times, but when you, you know, you might seek out an interview with someone and you know that in your mind, there's certain topics you'd certainly want to get into. And in this case, one of them is pretty obvious, right? Like you're revisiting an old chapter. You're going to see your old team. How do you feel? But then you don't know where that person's head is going to be at. Uh, and, and Fred, kind of the way like you're describing it is like, you know, the, the can of worms just opens up and it's like, oh, OK, this is where we're going. And as a reporter, it's great because for one, you're not the way you're making it sound, Fred, you're not there's no cajoling. There's no pushing in a certain direction. Um, there's a guy who clearly wanted to talk and, and was kind of looking for this kind of a microphone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no question. He he was ready to talk about it. There was no pushing. This was honestly, if there was, I mean, if anything, it was, it was the other side, you know, we, we, we did our little catch up. I, I asked him stuff. He was ready to go. He was ready for me to turn on that recorder. And, uh, as, as soon as I did, you know, five minutes or so into the interview and, and, and you guys know this, you don't, when you're doing an interview, you don't just come off and, 
and ask the the in-depth question right away. You know, we we started off with what he what he misses about Washington, how he's doing this season. He's playing well this season. We talked about that for a minute or two. And and then I kind of ask him, you know, so it seemed like one day you're still the franchise building block. You've been working hard to come back from the Achilles for two years. They've been working hard to help you with the Achilles. And then it felt like over just like two or three weeks, all that changed. And then two or three weeks later, you're going to Houston for Russell Westbrook. Where where did things go wrong? And then it kind of started to pour out. And and I think part of being an interview is, interviewer is being able to sense who you're talking to, getting to understand those relationships when you've covered a guy for a while, as, right. as I did with John, and getting to know a guy and knowing how to approach uh, those sorts of moments so that, you know, whomever you're interviewing is is comfortable. And when they're ready to talk, they 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 tell you what they think. And one of the things I always appreciate in an interview is when a guy is just honest, he will tell you he or she will tell you his or her version of the of the truth and and what they believe happened and what's on their mind. And uh, John, John was uh, he was not he was not holding back. He was telling me what what he believed. Slater, this kind of dovetails a little bit with, you know, your Warriors experience. I'm sitting here listening to Fred and, and thinking to myself that as much uh, fantastic coverage as there has been um, of their dynasty era, of the way that it broke up, um, to see Kevin come back, if I'm being honest, there's still part of me that that feels like there's more to be discovered about that chapter. And if you talk about players who have kind of not chosen to really open up, um, you know, and honestly, I know I'm subjective, but at our place, we have such a great crew in the Bay and yourself being part of it that like we've pushed as hard as anybody and had some great stuff. Do you agree that you feel like there's still more there, like whether it's from Kevin or from Steph? I mean, Draymond's been real open, um, but, you know, some things haven't been talked about from from that, you know, that story. Not not fully detailed. Um, You know, I wrote a big Durant look back this week and I tried to get him for it and he just doesn't really, I don't think, want to go down that road. And I think a lot of that is because this is part two for him in the reunion game and part one was not the smoothest. Um, right. That I think both sides saw that. I think that, you know, I did a post game podcast with Marcus Thompson and that was basically what we talked about. You know, it was like a KD love fest a little bit. You know, they did a tribute video. They made sure the front office gave him a standing ovation. Every quote pregame, postgame, while it wasn't dripping in like warmness, was still very cordial, very complimentary of Durant's time. And Durant did the same back, even though. We all know there was sour feelings on the way out. The Warriors organization walked Durant through the Thunder breakup, and that did not go well on either side. I mean, I think both sides of that one deserve a lot of criticism. And really, to this day, he still has a worse relationship with the Thunder than he does the Warriors. Um, There are many reasons for that, but I, I think Durant learned from the past that revealing a bunch of stuff just gets it out in the media and extends the storyline the breakup uh you know i and also it just wasn't as deep i mean sam you were around the the thunder one i I, in the story i wrote i wrote about that one time in portland right before their first game where me and you both got about 15 minutes with durant and you know long like like fred was saying long block quotes on you know russell westbrook and his time there and the, but the problem was that story dragged and dragged and dragged for years. And I don't think Durant wants that. I think he's just trying to separate, number one. And number two, this is another main point. Kevin Durant has a media 
organization now, right? He has the boardroom. He has podcasts. Right. That's one thing that is missing from, from maybe four years ago uh, or was missing four years ago. It's like a lot of these guys want to tell their story on their platform now. No question. I always, to that point, I always kind of smile a little bit when I look, I look at my uh, my inbox for email and I'll, you know, pretty routinely get a boardroom email saying, hey, Sam, this is what we have coming on the boardroom. And it's such a weird you know, kind of parallel universe where now you've got a, a Kevin Durant driven media platform asking us to promote content that he has coming. So that landscape has changed. I mean, if you go back to, um, you know, my first dealings with Kevin, where he was figuring out the media stuff, and there were definitely times when he would decide and figure out that he wanted our platform. And, and that was how he was going to get his story out. And to that end, Fred, I, that's a, a major reason why I loved your piece, because John's kind of old school, it seems like. I haven't really dealt with John a ton, but it seems like he's got that fabric where he sees a guy like you, respects him, trusts you you know, you know, with his voice, and then it's like, let's talk, and it's kind of the old school way. So great job on that. Thanks, man. John, John is, I mean, you're right. John is super old school, and it's not It's not just me. I think John has has a bunch of people in the media who who he trusts, and uh, you know, one thing I'll say about John and his uh, – he will always talk. I mean, I, I think part of it comes in his confidence. He's an unbelievably confident guy. Uh, so I don't think he ever gets deterred by, uh, you know, so-and-so wrote this about me and it wasn't positive. I think as long as you're fair and you're not name calling, I think John is too confident for, for some random ass dude with, with 25,000 Twitter followers writing something about his Wait a minute, that's numbers. the title. You just stumbled on yeah. the title. Every random introduction for the pod, yeah. it's going to be now coming from the East Coast, random ass dude with 25,000 followers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's I have a question. True. I have a question. What you guys later? Do you do you guys or Fred? Do you think that part of the reason John was so willing to talk was that he looks like the better side of this deal? You know what I mean? Like he's playing well in Houston, and he came with a first round pick. It looks like a mistake for Washington to have made the move. I don't know. I I I guess that's possible. I hadn't really thought about that. I don't know if it's the case, just because. John is such an unbelievably confident guy that I I feel like he would feel like he was the on the right end of the deal almost no matter what because he's just that kind of personality. He carries himself with that kind of swagger. Uh, I I think most of it came from the fact that I think he's genuinely hurt, and I think that that came through. Uh, you know, he spent ten years in D.C. He told me that he definitely thought he was going to retire a wizard and that he wanted to retire a wizard. Uh, you know, I, a lot of it, and and this is something that Michael Lee was talking about on Twitter today, who I, I think it's, it's plausible that Michael Lee has covered John Wall for more games than anybody else in the media. And Mike is just, you know, as good as there is. And, and one of the things that Mike has talked about and written about is, you know, John, John didn't, you know, John's dad is from D.C., and, and he always felt like he was repping his dad's city and his, his dad passed away when he was young and he always felt like that was a connection for him when he first came in, he was repping his dad's city. And, and one of the things I always thought was cool about the way that he embraced DC and he was very, very involved in the communities in DC. He won the community assist award for it five years ago. And one of the things I always thought was cool with John was when he got announced 
every time pregame he was announced as DC's point guard. That was what it was. And I think he really felt himself as part of the fabric of DC. He he used to say, this is my city. And and I, I think him leaving there, him leaving that organization, and he's an emotional guy to begin with in a lot of ways, uh, but him, him leaving there, I think it just hurt him. And I think he was hurt enough that he wanted to talk about it and he wanted to tell his side of the story. And, and I think that's probably the number one thing that spurred him being as as open as he was guys before we move on uh to the, the, your last bit of accolades fred random ass dude with twenty five thousand followers um my favorite part of the interview and this again this kind of a you know kind of a uh, relates to to any interview like this is as i'm reading it i'm kind of thinking to myself like all right fred good job getting him good job with some good stuff so far but please tell me that you got him to touch on the gang sign situation where there was a video that had gone viral and that, you know, a lot of people felt played a part in the trade where we're not trying to be salacious here, but you know, the Intel at the time was that Ted Leonsis, the wizard's owner wasn't happy about the optics of this. And maybe it was some kind of last straw. And so, um, I was happy to see, and I thought John handled it well that, you know, it's, it's not just getting a player to talk. It's, you know, kind of having, uh, courage is a little strong, but having kind of the, you know, the wherewithal journalistically to make sure that you touch on the relevant stuff, right? Where, uh, and I thought John breaking that down, honestly, uh, was another kind of box that he checked in the interview as far as, uh, you know, he came off looking fine. He had talked to ownership, talked to the GM, Tommy Shepard, and addressed that situation. He thought in the kind of way that, you know, where it wasn't going to play a part in him getting traded, made it clear <clears throat> that, he didn't know in the end what part it played, uh, but I was happy to see that that subplot kind of addressed. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something I, I am of the belief that the number one reason that that trade happened was for basketball reasons. I think the Wizards saw that they could get Russell Westbrook and Westbrook was coming off of an all NBA season and John hadn't played in two years and they'd been pumping up how good John looked in his rehab and all of that. But he hadn't played in two years and you just... You don't know for sure when a guy is coming back from an Achilles and he hasn't played in literally two years. And and so I think it was made ultimately for basketball reasons, which which don't look as great now. I mean, I also think that just based on being around that team, I think they think that the core went stale a little bit. They'd been together for so long. They'd gone through the motions for so long. I think they felt like they needed some sort of some sort of shake up with the with the core dynamic of the team and 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 I think they thought trading John for Russ would would help accomplish that. Uh and and I I do believe that the the gang sign stuff, I mean, there's no question from what you hear like Ted Leonsis was really angry about that. You hear mixed stuff on on how much that played into the deal. I don't really know the answer. I couldn't give it a percentage, but you know that ownership was really upset about that. It was not the first time John had a had a uh, you know a thing where he had flash gang signs. He did it during a 2015 playoff series against Atlanta too, right there on the court. And uh, that became a little bit of a thing too. And and I think it wasn't just the that the fact that he went viral in a video for for flashing gang signs. It was it was 
like you said, it was the last straw. I think ownership had kind of felt at the time that it wasn't just that this happened once. It was they felt like, you know, John John was partying and, and he wasn't necessarily maturing in the way that they wanted for their 30-year-old franchise Supermax guy. And and I think that definitely just kind of came through with their reaction to to the video. But that said, I don't I don't know how much. Like I couldn't put my finger on it. Right how much it had to do with them being willing to to make that deal. I mean, there's also the fact that he's a Supermax guy who hasn't played in two years, and people were talking about him as one of the you know worst contracts in the league. Right. So I think they would have been willing to listen on anything. Which, I mean, he kind of still is too, right? You know, like the, these are two just enormous contracts. I think Wall is making $44 million, $47 million the next two years in Houston. Um, that's not a great contract. I mean, he is playing better. The the appeal of this trade is Houston getting the picks. That's where I, you know, I think that'll be like the legacy of this trade is like which side went with picks. That's the mistake. Right, right, right. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right, gentlemen, let's make our way around the association. Uh, Slater's got some concerns out in uh, Hollywood with the Lakers and Anthony Davis and this latest bout that he's, uh, what are we calling it, strain of the... Uh, the, the Ach- Achilles te- tendinosis, uh, I believe. You is like how I just I put need. that on you because I couldn't pronounce it? Yeah. <laughs> it's not It's not tendinitis. Apparently, it's um, something that is a, maybe even a little bit more concerning. Although you're hearing Anthony Davis's quote last night, and they don't feel like it's apparently don't feel like it's something that could like turn catastrophic. It's just pain, persistent pain. Um, but that's not good either. You know, like they tried to rest him. They thought he was good enough to get back in this Denver game. And then he makes, I don't know. Did you see video of the move on Jokic? I mean, it's a pretty simple like drive. And then it's immediately clutching at the Achilles having to really slowly limp off. I hate to admit it. I mentioned Valentine's day earlier. I was a little wrapped up. You know, we, uh, we're not normally uh, DoorDash people, but we had some good grub coming to the house and little little date on the home front. So I, I, I had the game on in the background, but I did not see that play. So, I mean, this goes back to the playoffs. Remember, he was having some heel issues in the playoffs. Like, he played through, and he was maybe the best player in the, in the playoffs. Um, but he was having pain kind of like towards the bottom of his foot uh, in the playoffs. I don't know how connected that is, but this is now, I believe, about 10 days or so that this has popped up as on the injury report like i said he missed a couple games tried to come back now you know he's having an mri today i don't know how long he's going to be out but it's really really relevant because they are the prohibitive favorite i think to everybody but something like this would completely open the door if he has this season-long problem with this um and they haven't seemed to be able to solve it yet and not only that even when he's been on the floor he's not having that good of a season and this I assume is a part of that. Yeah, I was going to go there next, and I, and I knew you know the general 
kind of narrative and, and reality you're talking about with AD Slater, just that he had been down a bit. I, I j- kind of joked off air that it was part of the LeBron marketing machine. It's all the narrative to get him the MVP award, which he, I think right now probably deserves. Um, but the idea of him kind of carrying the Lakers with AD, not playing up to AD levels, but in terms of the actual production to give the listeners that context, Scoring is down almost four points a game from last season, 26.1 last year to 22.5. You know, he's shooting a little bit less, and and you assume that's because they, you know, they get the Montrezl Harrells and the Dennis Schroeders and and guys that are going to be a bigger part of the offense. But um, he's taking one less shot a game. Percentage overall is actually up 3%. Uh, Three-pointers, I mean, from long range is where that's a bit of a problem. He's not only shooting a little bit less, but he's down at 29.3 now, which is – you know, that's that's that unofficial threshold where you're not a threat and you're becoming a liability defensively and as far as teams deciding to play off you and, and clogging up that lane. So even the rebounding is down by about a board per game. Same thing with blocks. You know, his PER is you down, talk, I think. Yeah, you talk to people around the team uh, or watch. He's just not mixing it up as much, The you know, and that's Davis a little bit his reputation right he can get passive at times he could settle for the jumper um, but you see it in the rebounds you see it in the you know like you said the blocks a little bit down and I think the Lakers are giving uh, this is a stat from Yovan Buha our Lakers uh, writer I think the Lakers are giving up like the highest percentage of shots at the rim um, in the league which is rare their defense is still very good so I mean apparently that's not killing them that much but if if you talk to people around the team, it's like Davis is just it's he's significantly less impactful than he was in the playoffs, and that is fine as long as he knows playoffs are here. Turn it on as as champions learn to do. But now I'm more concerned because I'm seeing this Achilles thing that just doesn't seem to be going away right now. Right? Yeah he's he's got he's got the lowest like like the rate numbers are all kind of the lowest of his career too. Lowest rebound rate of his career. Lowest block rate of his career, which which matches up with the rim protection stuff you were talking about, Slater. It's I I wonder if if this is a lingering thing, an Achilles or one of those things. Like anything on the back of the leg tends to linger, right? Achilles, calf, hamstring, all that stuff can just linger if you let it. I wonder the position that they're in. They, they they can't care that much about I know LeBron is playing a lot this year, but they can't care that much about seating. Like I wonder if they get to a point where they just say, like, you know what? Give him extra time. Let him rest. Let's absolutely ensure this thing isn't gonna linger. Cause who cares if we're the two seed or the three seed or the four seed? What's way more important is a healthy Anthony Davis come the spring. Doesn't that put a lot puts a lot on LeBron though, Fred? You know what I mean? Like that's what I've yeah. seen the last week, you know, when he hasn't been out there is you know, this is one of the uglier, uh, or, or it was before they lost to Denver. One of the uglier five-game winning streaks you're ever going to see, where three triple o, or sorry, three overtime games. You know, back to back to back. Um, that would be my main concern: is that you know LeBron's got to be priority number one because he's the the old man in the group. Sounds yeah. like a sounds like a narrative for you, say. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's it's a good narrative MVP wise as long as he can pull it off. But he's barely pulled it off the past couple games, and honestly, it's it's on that threshold of as you watch kind of making you feel like it reminds you that this now has become a league where you cannot be elite without two or three stars. And the second that AD is not on the floor, it's it, it, Slater. I thought about Steph the other day and how it, when LeBron was out there without AD, it was the Lakers kind of looked on par to a warriors esque type of team where, you know, we're seeing Steph kind of try to carry that group. Yeah. I mean, to Fred's point, if let's say they said, 
Anthony Davis sit 14 games right now. I don't know what they'll decide. I do think it's coming to that moment because of this, like, you know, I guess reaggravation that they probably need to decide something like that. But if they go seven and seven over that 14 game stretch, okay. You know, whatever. It won't look good. We'll probably come on this podcast a few times and we might even have a like, what's wrong with the Lakers segment and all that. But if they go seven and seven over a 14 game stretch without Anthony Davis and drop to the four seed and they're in that mix, it won't matter as long as the outcome of that is Anthony Davis is fresh and ready to go when it matters. So, right. um, yeah, and you're right, don't overburden LeBron, but part of that is then don't overburden LeBron in those 14 games. Rest him like he normally would rest. Tell him not to just but Schroeder you know, hadn't go been crazy. Play. It doesn't help that Schroeder hadn't been playing all no. that well. You know. No, no, and Harold's an answer to this too, right? This was the appeal when we talked about the, their offseason was like, you know, Harold might be played off the floor in a, in a bad uh, playoff matchup, but in the regular season, because we kind of thought the Lakers were going to go through some of this. We didn't know the details of it. Um, this was the moments that Mar- Montrezl Harrell just like go score 18. You go have 18 and tens for the next two weeks right. and, and be productive. Right, right, right. Yeah. And not just Harrell. I mean, Gasol and, and even Markeith Morris too. I mean, come, come playoff time, you're going to have so many moments where AD's at the five and LeBron's at the four and, and you're, it's not going to be all the time. And it wasn't all the time last year, but it's going to happen more than in the regular season where you play everybody a position down. So yeah, you're right. This is where, this is where Harold gets his numbers. Gasol, instead of playing 20 minutes a game, maybe plays 24, 25. And, and, uh, you know, you get some more just kind of capable minutes out of Morris and, and, and you hold, you're, you know, you hold and you stay in the top four or whatever, and, and you're kind of fine as long as you're healthy going into the postseason. So, guys, a natural pivot from there is I, I would like to, uh, I'm being, you know, kind of selfish here, didn't give you the heads up. I want to talk about the Nuggets a little bit. Uh, I wrote about them a few days ago, and, and I'm fascinated by them, and hopefully folks listening are at least a little bit, too. I know they're not a high-profile team. They don't get a lot of the spotlight. Um, but that squad, you know, America and the world at large got to know them a little bit last year, you know, coming back from two three one deficits in the playoffs, fighting the Lakers a little bit in the conference finals. Nikola Jokic now becoming a household name. Uh, I, the stuff I wrote about the other day and that I'm going to continue to watch and be interested in going forward is some of the internal dynamics that are, I think, are either going to, you know, kind of keep them from finding that next level or perhaps drag them down a bit. And, and specifically Michael Porter Jr. as the guy that they want and need to be the third star for the Denver Nuggets. And the uh, the picture that I had painted coming off a, a loss they had in Milwaukee last week was that Jokic, to his credit, is not only carrying this team on the court. He's doing a lot off the court with Porter Jr. in particular, leadership-wise, to try to bring him along. So they lose to Milwaukee, and there is a possession late in the game where uh, the Nuggets, I believe, were down nine at the time. And Porter gets the ball on the right wing, And he's got Dante DiVincenzo closing on him. And Jokic is establishing position down on the block. I think there's about, I want to say, 11 left on the shot clock. And he fires up a contested three. And this play became something that, you know, on social media and and Nuggets Twitter, if you will, glommed onto because Jokic did not look happy. Shoulders just shrug immediately, didn't run back up the floor, looked irritated, um, and then did a little bit of that on the other end of the floor as well. And, and instead of folks criticizing Jokic, who you know has just been a monster this season, they just said, uh-oh, big fella's not happy. And kind of the ire was directed towards Porter Jr. But after the game, Michael, to his credit, had gone up to Jokic at his locker 
address the situation. They had a good positive conversation about it where Joker basically told them, like, I know you know, and and that's the good thing about you. I know you know why that's a bad shot and, and why we, we got to find a better look there. And it was symbolic of this developmental struggle that they have had with Porter. Now, he, he's young, you know what I mean? We're still on the really, really kind of early end of, of where he's at, but because that team is as good as it is, there's a lot of pressure there. And then, you know, within that, you got Jamal Murray not playing, you know, as well as he did in the bubble, and that's adding even more pressure. So Jamal has a good game against the Lakers. Jokic does Jokic things. Porter didn't play all that well, but they it's funny though, they beat the Lakers, which is just a, a great win on the schedule. And then I mentioned before how they beat Utah a couple weeks ago. That was a great win on the schedule. And then within all that, they had a bunch of losses that made no sense. And and just kind of that herky-jerky part of their season. Uh, how do you guys see that group in terms of uh, the big picture here? Well, one of the more fascinating situations I think you can have from like a team-building perspective in the NBA is when you have one team that's really far along, like Denver, who makes the conference finals last year. And you're trying to integrate in a really young, really inexperienced guy who you know kind of has to come along a little bit quicker. And one of the things with Porter, honestly, it's a little analogous to like what Slater covers with James Wiseman. One of the things with Porter is that it's not just that he's young. He's barely played because of all the injuries. He's he's played like, you know, what he's played probably a thousand minutes in the NBA or something like that. He he played two games in college, I know, because I went to Mizzou, and everybody was so pumped they were getting number one recruit, and he doesn't play. He just he he really hasn't played high level <laughs> basketball for such a long time. Fred, I got I got to interrupt because Slater's face is cracking me up. This is the weekly Slater, and I know this. We got to bring you in. This is the weekly Fred Wi-Fi hang up. It only happens once a week. And it only happens, you know, but but it's now it's going to be a damn segment. So so that segment was brought to you by Bad Wi-Fi R S. Whoever you have, you can uh, you can you can uh, you can screenshot it next time. <laughs> Is that you? You go glitchy, and then I look at Slater's face, and we both start laughing. But continue. That, that can be that can be the photo on my my business cards right next to <laughs> random ass guy. Yes, and you can have it right next to each other. Uh, no, it's just. He he's not just young. He's he's inexperienced, you know, and uh, it is it's always interesting to see how teams are integrating those. those yeah, he's also got a weird mentality and Slater, I'll throw it to you. But like, you know, it's, it's youth, but it's also, you know, the playoffs last year, you play confidence. The, yeah, but you're yeah, you're playing the Clippers and it's like just I'm going to just tell the world that Coach Malone needs to get me more looks. You know, at that time, that their locker room and their organization was just, did he really do that? You know, and, and I remember some of their folks kind of saying, trying to play the card of, you know, not necessarily taken out of context, but like, oh, the media is making too big a deal. I was like, no, that was black and white. Like he just came out and said, I need more shots. Um, and, and now he went on to tell the team that his idea, which isn't wrong, is that a team like the Clippers, you got to come, you know, kind of, you know, making the most of all the talent on the floor. But he's got a an occasionally challenging style, which again is why that that locker room thing and the way he handled the Milwaukee loss was a step in the right direction. But he can be a you know a, a bit of a, a wild card personality wise. Fred framed it well with the with the Wiseman comparison. Um, but the big you know there's a couple differences. Um, 
Denver needs to win now. Denver's in win now mode. We're not not that the Warriors aren't, but the Clay Thompson Achilles tear has kind of taken them out of this season's conversation. So they do, you know, to the chagrin of some uh, of their fan base, kind of have a developmental season to play with. Um, and Wiseman's a rookie and he's 19, whereas Porter is now in his third season and is nearing the end of his, you know, rookie deal. You know, we're t- we'll be talking extension at some point. And also just because of where Denver is, right? Like this is a, a season Denver probably needs to try to chase the title um i think he's gonna be a conversation come deadline right i mean particularly if bradley beal's on the table um and i well here's let me let me throw this bit of context in because this is right with what you're saying slater they they pass on james harden that's just a fact like they 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 looked at that really really hard and they chose to go with this court now jamal was never going to be in that trade and so i can't speak to you know rockets gm rafael stone and and what his kind of pecking order was in terms of the the deals on the table but Denver was I think more so than has been publicly talked about all that much closer to that action than we thought before and now on the back end of that and this is part of what compelled me to write it was that there is this sense of you know kind of team-wide like all right this is the road we went on we believed in this group so this group needs to find its way yeah and, and Sam just to add to that I mean same thing with Drew Holiday right I mean, they they could have gotten in on Drew Holiday right. if they wanted to get all the way in on that, and right. they and they decided not to, you know, do that either. Right. Yeah, and Porter hasn't exploded like they hoped. I think some of it was the the, the extended coronavirus uh, protocols he was in this season, but even. I, I, his trade value may be dipping a little bit, right? I mean, like this was supposed to be the superstar explosion season. This was Jeremy Grant is gone, by the way, playing better. They could definitely use right now right. Uh, to Detroit. Okay, Lane has opened show at Michael Porter Jr. And, you know, that's that's a, the concern of not cashing in on a premium young asset is he never develops into the idealized version that you were hoping he w- would become. Porter still has a lot of time, but I would say we probably all three feel a little bit, you know, slightly less confident Porter will become that than we did maybe at the beginning of the season. And that's that's the the asset play. Right. I mean, it's probably gone down a little to Fred's point, though, man, the sample size is is it's just so small. And that's where I don't know if he's going to have it in him to to figure it out this year. You're talking 71 games total uh, and if you didn't have this context and this pressure that is you know a title contending team around you um you, we would look at the line and say okay quote unquote second year player because of the injury um he missed a year but scoring you know from 9.3 to 14.5 you know rebounding 4.7 to 6 like there's development there's a spike you know in a lot of other situations you'd say all right mission accomplished so far he's doing well but this is a, a different a different beast you rarely watch them and are like, man, he's really contributing to winning right now. That's the problem, right? is I mean, it? Malone, yeah, he, he Malone is pulling his hair out constantly about the defensive struggles. I think that's gotten a little better at different times. His awareness is terrible, off ball, um, and he even admitted it. I'll say this: when they beat, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank. After the Milwaukee game, they had a win, and I jumped. Or I'm sorry, I listened, went back and listened to the audio of Porter's uh, post game media, and it was one of the more introspective media sessions you're ever going to see after a game where I was impressed with his candor and his honesty because he talked about how his teammates are telling him that, it, you know, his uh, scoring cannot dictate his effort on the defensive end, how he needs to uh, not shoot as much, as many contested threes. And he flat out said, 
I don't think anybody can block my shot, but I need to go to the rim more. Uh, and that was, I think, a direct product of the Milwaukee possession that I mentioned earlier, where he's now saying, okay, I got to get to the rim. And all these different things where he's showing a lot of self-awareness. It's just a question of can you turn that into you know, the real development that they need. So, so to me, the ultimate thing for him is going to end up being the defense, especially the off-ball stuff. Right. I mean, Sam, you mentioned it—the off-ball awareness. He gets back cut when he 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 doesn't find screens. Like he just he doesn't navigate well defensively at all. Offensively, he's such an incredible jump shooter for somebody his size. If he can figure out how to get to the line more, which comes with that physicality, that getting to the rim. He really could be a, a relatively unstoppable scorer. I mean, with the athlete that he is, with the way that he can shoot, he's such a silky jump shooter. It's unbelievable. So if he can figure out a way to be able to get to the line. And by the way, when you're playing off the ball next to Nikola Jokic, yeah. like <laughs> he is going to get you open. Yeah, and he's not cutting. just... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he's not just going to get you open for jump shots. Yeah. Like he's getting you open. You can figure out how point, to cut. Fred. Well, you I can keep get going three, back to four baskets a game off of those cuts and yeah. and get to the line a lot off them too. I think that kind of you know I keep going back to that position, but I have it in my head. Like if you're Jokic, you know, and you and you and you kind of fling it out to the right wing, you know, and you're setting shop setting up shop down low where you're the fulcrum of what they do. And like you said, you you know, he's the guy who's got that incredible ability to just unleash all these different looks that are going to be better than that contested three that he f- threw up there. I think that's kind of the spirit of it is, you know, you are playing with a guy who is on pace, if not already to be the best passing big man of all time. So, you know, he needs to form his game around that. When I, after I, I dropped that story a few days ago, I got a text from someone in the league, like almost immediately that was like, man, Porter ain't changing, you know? So it was, it was interesting. Like there's a, a rep that he's going to have to beat here. Uh, he is known as a guy who's going to, do things his way and, and potentially drag them down. I think Fred wants to get a uh, Jacob Pur- Jakob Pertle Jakob takeoff. Pertle. Fred's got a lot of uh, thoughts uh, on the Jakob, on the Spurs on the Spurs. And I think did you what did you <laughs> what did you threaten us with? Uh, you know, forty five minutes of Jakob Pertle talk, Fred. That that's that's not a threat. That's a privilege. <laughs> That's 45 minutes of Jakob Pertl talk. Are you kidding me? It sounds <laughs> Fred, incredible. Fred must, when he played in his youth, he must have had a Jakob Pertl type game. No, no. I'm I'm totally unphysical and just a jump shooter, and that is it. I'm like an immobile jump shooter. I'm, I'm, I'm basically Anthony Morrow, but if Anthony Morrow shot 32% <laughs> from three. 32 is yeah. not bad for like high school. Yeah. So. <laughs> And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Don- 
Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. I uh, uh, I don't know whatever the opposite of air your grievances is. This is the air your air your your musings pod, and so this is where we're you know next up, Fred Katz, who is fixated on the Wizards every single day. Uh, you know maybe you can share the backstory of of how you got to this place where Jakob Pertl is is the center of your attention. Uh, as a quick aside. I think I saw this on NBA TV, uh, the little segment they had on him the other day and talking about it was a human interest type thing about how in Austria, you know, basketball is certainly not very popular. And it was pretty neat because it talked about how um, even in this professional state where he makes millions of dollars and plays at a high level, that he really, truly had this mentality um, that the game was fun and that that had never escaped him. And it, it just, I thought it was pretty cool actually. Cause it, you talk about guys getting a little bit disenfranchised by the business and, and everything changing and you lose kind of that youthful spirit, uh, you know, that kind of led you to the game in the first place. And he was talking about how he's got that in spades, even at this stage. So, uh, I'm a fan, but what do you got, Fred? What's, what are your thoughts here? I, I like how I, I send threats to the company chat, the company Slack about Jakob Pertl. And now I'm on the Pertl spot. I'm, I'm, I'm ready, man. I got it going. So I, (laughs) there's no reason. There is no specific reason why I wanted to talk about Jakob Pertl. I just feel like we haven't talked about the Spurs very much on this, on this pod. And, and they're interesting. I had, I did not expect them to be 16 to 11. Yeah, (laughs) sure. You know what? We have been talking for twenty years about the Spurs being boring. Let's let's because they're well, supposed to be. And then when decent. they actually do become boring, they're interesting. They're six, the listen, turn, they right? are okay. So go. they're sixteen and eleven right now. Hmm. That's pretty shocking because for one, uh, you know, losing Lamarcus Aldridge was a big deal. Um, I think you guys can correct me here. Was I think it, that helped them? By the way, fair. Well, fair. I'm talking. He's a name, he, though, Slater. He's a name that I know. I saw him play against the Warriors this year, and I believe the term Nate Duncan kept using was calcified. Oh he was gosh, defense like he was calcified. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know who does not play defense like he's calcified? Jakob Pertl. He's solid. He he is. I guess they've won five of six. I need to wake the, up. You're right. Let's see. Eight and eight. Hold on. I'm in my own head now. Eight out of eleven. Uh, and and Fred, don't worry. We'll give you the floor, but. Who, who had the quote the other day, guys? I want to say it was Steve Kerr, but it might have been somebody else. That was highlighting the fact that the Spurs, you know, no surprise, had somehow threaded that needle between development and winning. And, you know, that that is such a hard thing to do to bring some of your young guys along uh, while also being competitive. And they're certainly doing that this year. Well, yeah, I mean, Fred, they get your positive... Get they your play positive those small guard off, lineups, man. Because I'm gonna have a negative. Slater's one. gonna kill so it. Go Let's do it. Fred's Let's up first. talk. All right. Here's my here's my niche hot take. Uh, I think Jakob Pertl has a case for being the best rim protector in the league this year. Oh, so far. That is a take. Yeah, that, and I just watched the Warriors play this two times. And he was not protecting the rim. He um well. he's been he's been the best guy statistically right now 
in terms of contesting, in terms of shots, layups, and dunks that he contests. Guys are shooting the worst percentage in the league on shots he contests. He has this incredible ability to be able to go up and not foul and go up vertically. And and one of the the Spurs are winning right now. Their offense is just kind of middle of the pack. The Spurs are winning right now because they've they've reentered the top ten in defense. And and part of the reason why I'm I'm interested by them is because they've stopped fouling again. And I think Pirtle is a really big part of that when he's on the floor. Their defense, by the way, is 15 points per 100 possessions better when he's on the floor, which is a ridiculous number. Also might have uh, something to do with LaMarcus Aldridge, who they've been much worse when he's on the floor this year. Yes, but they've been very good when Pirtle is out there. I mean, that's that's larger than the difference between the number one defense and the number 30 defense. Like, that's a that's a huge difference. Uh, but but Pirtle has, has been so instrumental to them I think the Spurs for years the reason their defense one of the many reasons I should say their defense was competent was because they just they defended without fouling every single year and I didn't think it was a coincidence that last year their defense fell off it's 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 they constantly have defensive strategies that are important because that work in majorly because they don't foul last year was the first time in like a decade and a half that they fell out of the top 10 in defensive foul rate. Uh, and they're number two again this year. And they're back in the top 10 in defense. And they're 16-11. They're playing pretty well. I don't think they're some sort of powerhouse. I don't think they're necessarily going to win a playoff series. But I thought they were going to be bad. Like, really bad. And their bench has been really good. Uh, and and I like some of their young guys. I, Johnson's a nice player. Patty Mills it, is having a yes. great year. I think DeRozan's having a, having a pretty good year too. Yeah, DeRozan is having a pretty good year. He's he's been getting to the line like crazy, and they're playing with other guards too, which has been working really well. I the Spurs, you know what? Spurs are interesting. <laughs> so Greg Popovich so is no. is ya- having Yaka Pertle, by the way, has not been the best rim protector in the league this year. Rudy Gobert has, but but uh, he I, I enjoyed back, saying that Sam, for a he, fact. Sam, he walks it back. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, and then uh, you won't see this coming, but yes, I agree with you about Rudy, but then the first thought I had was that, and you know, it's an outlier, but that Denver game where uh, Jokic had 22 points in the first quarter against Gobert, so everybody has bad days at the office. I also tried to push back on Fred's you know, Jakob Pertle for Defensive Player of the Year campaign, which is clearly happening here. Um, and Gobert, uh, you know, I think you said a 15-point defensive rating swing for Pertle. Is that right? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, he's he's got Gobert in that territory. It's it's, a, it's only a seven-point swing for Rudy and the Jazz. But, you know, so your, your, oh your campaign lives uh, on. Uh, <laughs> uh, so my thing with the Spurs, yes, they're uh, – a slight surprise. Um, I it, I probably would have guessed Popovich would have had them around 500. They're better than 500. Um, they and none of our estimations I think are a playoff threat. Uh, and then I just don't see it on the path towards title threat very soon because sure. none of their young guys you think are superstars. Uh, you know I like Deontay Murray. He had eight steals in a game against the Warriors that I watched the other day. Uh, he does interesting stuff. You mentioned Keldon Johnson. Some of their uh, other younger guys look like solid, you know, high level rotation players maybe into the future. But the Aldridge stuff is going to get solved. He'll be gone probably by next season. Um, DeRozan, you know, is coming up on an expiring. But 
it's it's kind of a little bit of a path to nowhere because they're going to get what the 17th pick in the draft their rookie this year vassal looks solid doesn't look like he's going to be a star free agent stars probably aren't going to sign there like they don't seem to be going toward you know it's fine to be on that treadmill of slightly better than mediocrity we'll say because they're not (laughs) mediocre right now but it's just because they don't seem to have a path towards greatness or you know they're trying to completely rebuild (laughs) i just don't find it as interesting as fred does i don't know if if sounds fascinating i don't know if super producer andrew select is still on the line but we need to get the uh the social media athletic folks uh looped in here the aggregation slater is gonna be anthony slater the spurs quote on a path to nowhere this is (laughs) (laughs) i mean like we and 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 on you know what? The sixteen and eleven through tell Pop, twenty-seven Pop, I'm games. I'm gonna jump on a Pop Zoom. I'm gonna say Pop Sam Amick, the Athletic. Nice to see you. Uh, any response to Anthony Slater saying that your organization is on a path to nowhere? If any of these takes get aggregated, it is ironically proof that this is interesting. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm it will prove my, my point. I'm I hope my that I, if they're gonna aggregate anything, I hope it's that uh, Fred Katz. Quote, Yaka Pertle is the best room protector. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. I hope there's a little, a little, uh, a, a little disclaimer at the end. All right. Uh, every pod has got a, a Sam Amick executive decision. And since we're going to have to hop off soon uh, so that Anthony Slater can head to the mechanic, um, I'm going to go down the, the Utah Jazz Road. I mean, all this slander. How do you, we get to, you know, minute 48 or whatever it is in the pod and not talk about the best team in the NBA, the Utah Jazz continuing to dominate, continuing to do their thing. Uh, you know, we're on here putting Pirtle above Gobert for Defensive Player of the Year. Good job, Fred. They've Outrageous. won lot. I'm sorry. You, you mean MVP. Pearl oh, MVP. MVP of course. We're doing MVP. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Would he be course. the first Austrian to be an MVP? I think so. Um, <laughs> Maybe. So the Utah Jazz, uh, you know, and, and I feel like shout-outs are in order because they're, they're playing well with – Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck and uh, David Morway in the front office and Quinn Snyder coaching and all the players that you are familiar with. Um, these are human beings that, that don't get the spotlight, you know, the real spotlight uh, all that often. I clicked on ESPN's uh, Utah Jazz team page and it had, <clears throat> speaking of aggregation or self-aggregation, it had a, a, a headline, you know, Stephen A. doesn't believe the Jazz, you know, the, their run, whatever. It was kind of him putting a little uh, water on the fire, but you know, you got Stephen A talking about you. That means you're doing something. They have lost one game since, let me go all the way back since January 6th. Uh, Let that sink in for you. It's now February 15th. They've had that one game that I mentioned to Denver. I mean, my goodness, you take that game away and, uh, and it it is a, I mean, it's a hell of a run anyway, that, uh, yeah, you know, I'm not doing the math quickly enough in my well, head. Th- look, the the metrics say they're a they're a title contender. The metrics also said the Milwaukee Bucks were the title favorite last year. Sure. Um I understand people saying, look at the court product, look at the three point proficiency and accuracy, you know, how many they're shooting per game, which I believe is over 40 and how percentage they're making. I mean, like pretty much everyone in their rotation hits like 40 something percent from 3. Um Donovan Mitchell looks like he's taking a mini leap. Mike Conley's been much better than last year. Gobert is even maybe better than Jakob Pertl as a rim protector this season. <laughs> um, and and <laughs> Fred. <laughs> and uh, I, so I can understand somebody saying, look at the court product. This is a title contender. I believe they're the one seed as we're speaking. Oh, yeah. Um, 
But I can also understand people saying, look, if they played the Clippers in a series tomorrow, I'm taking the Clippers. If they played the Lakers in a series tomorrow, I'm taking the Lakers. If they played a few teams in the East, people might take teams in the East because they just haven't proved it in the playoffs. And the reality is with cores like this, people are going to doubt you until you go into the playoffs and prove it. They have a chance this season to prove it, but they're going to have to to get the full nationwide belief. That's just what it is. The depth is the thing. And I'm trying to, you know, Mike Conley hasn't played since February 5th. You know, and and they keep doing it and they, hamstring yeah. again, which he had issues with last year. Right, and and that's a big deal. And I'm forgetting it. They've they've had core guys in and out, in and out, and even Donovan missed a few games, and they and they surprisingly kept it going. So the depth is the thing. The formula is the thing. Uh, you know, Rudy doing his rim running and making opposing defenses make a pretty brutal choice between actually jumping on that or jumping out to shooters, and they have shooters in spades. Uh, Jordan Clarkson, you know, is a definite uh, six-man candidate. You've got even all the way down to, you know, Royce O'Neal, guys like that. Um, Niang had a, a decent offensive game the other day. I mean, the depth is what jumps out at you. And then the vibe. And we've written about this, talked about this. I'm just so impressed with them as people to get through what was such a challenging time in March with, you know, Rudy getting COVID and, and then the whole team being front and center, all the friction that came within that situation. You know, and then having the you know pretty devastating first round loss to Denver, where they played really well, I thought, but then they blow that three one lead. Now, that's a lot to get through and to come out on the other side and say, yeah, I want to keep rocking with these guys. And and within that, of course, you had extensions for Gobert and and Mitchell. Uh, you know, but they they look great. Yeah, just imagine if they could switch out Gobert for Pirtle. <laughs> Be on another level. Right, that's, that's what that's a mic drop. I, I, Guess what? I think they could. Yeah. <laughs> if, they, if they really wanted. That's the mic I don't drop. know, man. Fred, I hate to break it to you. You just you just ruined your own title because it's no longer random ass dude with twenty five thousand followers. It's just Jakob Pertle's publicist is now the new title <laughs> on the pod. Hey, I'll I'll ride it. He's playing twenty minutes a game, but those twenty minutes are glorious and I'm enjoying them. All right, you guys are glorious. Later, go take care of your car. Fred, appreciate you. Talk to you guys next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.